the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Jesse Gestand. He's the host of Way of Grace, a pastor and a community leader. He's a teacher and an inspiration. He's Lifeline's own Jesse Gestand. Yes, sir. Yours truly on this Monday edition of Lifeline. Glad to have you in the house. Glad to be with you on what I call, once again, a gorgeous, gorgeous, wonderful Monday Afternoon, evening, day filled with radiance from the sun and the vitamin D that makes us all healthy, protects us from those dreaded cancer cells that would like to take over our bodies and and ruin our skin. Thank you, Lord, for the sunshine of California. Again, welcome to the Monday edition of Lifeline. We are post-July 4th, Independence Day, and I hope and trust that you had a really um, a really good week, and particularly a good 4th of July, um, I did. The fireworks were outrageous in the Bay Area this year, were they not? Um, had a chance to watch the fireworks um, event and uh, parade and show on, um, I think it was CBS on uh, uh, July 4th, where they had all of the different singers and musicians and military at the White House. If you saw it, it was really good. Um, And at the same time, uh, probably for about a week before the 4th, you know, the folks here in the Bay Area, they they buy fireworks, don't they? Uh, Anything from small firecrackers to large cherry bombs and beyond. And... um, I admit it could have been and probably was a little bit tempting and trying uh, for many of our families, particularly and and certainly for our older people to have to endure the explosion of the bombs. Uh, I remember last Tuesday, um, day before July 4th in our prayer service in Hayward, um, you know, we, we love to pray. And, and and all during the prayer, small firecrackers are going off down the street. And then all of a sudden, boom, a major cherry bomb blowing. Seemed like right outside the window. It so shook some of our older people um, that we had to go into serious prayer about um, about even that kind of distraction. Well, that's the world you and I live in. And uh, we live in a world full of bombs. We live in a world full of explosions. We live in a world full of the outbreak of uh, uh, measures of chaotic energy that's designed to disrupt your life and disrupt my life as well. And um, what do you do in a war-torn world where every uh, few minutes or um, every so often, not too infrequently, we are dealing with explosions? typified by July 4th. Well, you have to be careful. You have to be extremely careful in a world filled with not only literal war in terms of uh, the kind of devastation taking place in the Middle East and uh, other parts of the world, Africa, etc., but spiritual war, the real spiritual battle that you and I deal with on a daily basis in our lives. It is really and truly 
a war zone out there. Would you not agree? And and how do you negotiate it? How do you how do you field it? How do you uh, navigate yourself around the warfare so that it doesn't so unnerve you? That you can't live functionally in this world, that you can't do what God has called you to do in a fashion that uh, is it's productive. Um, and it ultimately ends up where we're traumatized in many cases. Don't want to go outside. Or every time we turn around, we're worried about an explosion. This is what happens to our brothers and sisters around the world who are dealing with these very things in different countries. And yet... You know what the Bible tells us to do? It tells us to armor up. The conference that I was a part of, uh, me and my um, my preaching team here recently in Sacramento, um, over the weekend, Friday and Saturday, and then it, it consummated Sunday. And our series was Armoring Up in Honor of the Warfare. And it was a, uh, a series of messages that came out of Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20, where we dealt with the whole panoply of the armor of God. I think I shared some of that with you all. If you did not uh, get the series or hear the series, you really do want to tap in. We should have it on our website at some point in the very near future, but you can certainly go to Way of Grace um, Sacramento, Way of Grace Sacramento, and look at it on the Facebook. I think all the messages were um, recorded. I saw some of them yesterday, and they were absolutely phenomenal uh, in terms of us trying to get across to the people of God that we are in a warfare, and the warfare, ladies and gentlemen, is largely targeted at the soul of the family and the soul of the family called the family of God, the church of the living God. The warfare is spiritual in nature. It is celestial. It is um, a formidable warfare and battle that is taking on uh, major chunks of success, in my own estimation, against the church and the body of Christ and believers in general. You are in a warfare. I am in a warfare. And we have been called to one thing, armoring up, armor, armor up. Put on the whole armor of God that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. I want to talk about that from a particular angle uh, today. Um, I really do. I want to talk about um, an aspect of the warfare that we really don't engage in that much publicly, although... I think all of us know something about it. I think we know a lot about it in terms of it being so near to us in proximity. I think this particular warfare is something that most people struggle with who have not really rooted themselves in a sound identity in Christ and and, and have a very healthy biblical concept of humanity. This warfare is ubiquitous. This warfare is pervasive. This warfare is everywhere present. This warfare, well, it took on its initial assault with our first parents and has worked its way through the Noahic era, the Abrahamic era, the Davidic era. And clearly, we had problems with it in the New Testament. And certainly, our churches are really, really, really uh, befuddled by and uh, encompassed with this particular warfare stratagem on the part of the adversary that has really taken down 
many strong men in the church. And I want to talk about that today and get some good, healthy dialogue and conversation with you around it in a moment. But I do want to say coming up this Wednesday, we are starting our Wednesday summer Bible study, lunchtime Bible study, 11 o'clock to noon every Wednesday. We gather together around the Psalms. I've been uh, doing exposition uh, of the Psalms every year for the last three years, and they have been wonderful classes at 11 o'clock to noon on Wednesday. I want to share that with you because um, a lot of times these classes are very um, apropos and helpful to non-working people. If you're not working during the daytime or if your job is such that it allows you to take a break before eating physical lunch, join me in eating a spiritual lunch at 11 o'clock at Grace Bible Church in Hayward off of um, Sunset and um, A Street. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful time of deep analysis of God's Word. It's a great class for homeschoolers. You can bring your kids anywhere from uh, 9 or 10 years old. They can grasp some of the concepts, although I really do dig into the text. Uh, and it's certainly great for those of you who have kids that are teenagers and who are in summer school are out of school for the summer, and you really want them to have a better sort of midday activity during the week than kind of running around or playing on the Internet or getting caught up in some of the things that don't necessarily help build them up as they ought to in the faith. Our GBC, Grace Bible Church, Wednesday summer class begins this week uh, on Wednesday, um, July 11th, for seven weeks. Now, we're going to be in Psalm 103 this week, Psalm 103 this week, and I'm going to be dealing with the first segment of that psalm. Our class already knows that Psalm 103 is uh, some 20-something verses, around 22 verses, and it's broken up into three different categories, and we're going to be dealing with category one for two to three weeks because it's so rich, so rich, and the topic is called, or rather the title of that particular study will be called, I'm Loaded. I'm Loaded. I don't want you to miss the point there. This is not about inebriation or being drunk or being altered in your state of mind whatsoever. Um, but you definitely want to check it out. If you're not able to come and be part of it, uh, watch it online. Um, what I mean by I'm loaded, it really has a triple entendre to it. And you really have to be there to know who is the one saying I'm loaded. Well, this is really all about developing the meaning and significance of the concept of forgiveness for the people of God as the believer's total care benefit package. I want to talk to us about why the psalmist in this context, David, has shared with us how forgiveness is the initial blessing of a benefit package that ultimately leads to eternal life in the full scope and comprehension of eternal life. Seven characteristics to this benefit package, and I want to deal with it over two to three weeks and show us how rich and how profound it is when once you have found yourself employed in the kingdom of God and you have uh, verbally and heartfeltly uh, signed that contract with the true and the living God through Christ, his son, and by the power of his spirit, and you have become part of the kingdom, you have an amazing benefit package called a total care package for your soul. And you really want to know what the contents of that are. You really do. You want to be able to say somebody in this relationship between me and God is loaded. <laughs> and you really want to be able to say it's me. 
I'm loaded. Not only because I'm loaded, but because God is loaded and God has been good to me. And that's what you and I want to do for the next three or four weeks in the Psalm study. So I do want to encourage you along those lines to join me this Wednesday in our Psalm study. Now, speaking of warfare, warfare, um, I, want to la- I want to warn you about the pitfalls of youth ministry and the ministry of the pastorate. They kind of go hand in hand uh, in this particular uh, reflection and meditation that I'm going to do with you after I come back from the break. I want to talk to you about the warning uh, of youth pastor ministry. Uh, and the whole idea really is around where you and I are in our culture. Uh, with our kids and with young adults. And, and, and what I'm going to be talking to you about, let me let you know now before I go to break, is I'm going to be talking to you about sex. So, yeah, if you have a real um, strong uh, uh, affinity against that topic and you have kids around, you probably want to take a break on this program. I'm not going to be talking about anything explicit, but I will be talking about why it is that so many in the church collapse under sexual issues, pornography, adultery, and fornication, why so many do? What is it in our society that is leading to a almost wholesale um, departure from a fundamental integrity factor that affirms biblical truth and the reality of the kingdom of God amongst God's people? Why is it that we're being brought into so much captivity around the area of sexual integrity? I really do want to talk about it. And if you can stomach it, this is for you parents who really don't know the stats on how much your children are exposed to or engaged in pornography or sexual activity right under your noses and you don't know it. This is also about the pervasive um, reality of porn and sex in the church, rising up even to leadership in the church. Now, as I close for the break, what's the point? If you and I are not aware of the strategies of the devil and we ought to know his schemes And we don't see the major idols that really are plaguing not only our surrounding environment, but you and me as well. Because you and I may be very well jaded and in a position to fall if I'm not already talking statistically to thousands of people who are falling. Do I have your attention now? We have a plague in our culture, in our churches, in our family. And I could probably say in our hearts, that's keeping us from enjoying the riches that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to take a break. The number is one 367 one If you want to call in and chime in on our topic, is it impacting you? Is it impacting your kids? Are you finding yourself so struggling with porn and addiction and sexual uh, um, uh, the whole sexual panorama that is presently dominating the narrative of our world and culture that it has impeded your walk with Christ. We can talk about it, but I'm going to go into it for this whole segment, not only this hour, but the next hour as well. And I'll take your phone calls on it. one 367 Don't you go anywhere. I'll be right back. 
And now, back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistan. The time is 523 on the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm going to read an article by one Cameron Cole, um, a warning to youth and college pastors. And as I said, I want it to be really a message to every ear out there, whether you are a great-great-grandparent, great-grandparent, grandparent, parent, or um, single person, or um, young person. This really is for you because this is really not an isolated issue. This is really a social and community issue. It's actually a church issue. Um, the body of Christ, and a world issue. And and, and, and Cameron uh, goes on, I quote, I recently had a disturbing but unsurprising conversation with a rooted supporter who builds hotels and conference centers. While visiting one, the owner told him that they sell more pornographic pay-per-view movies during youth ministry conferences than at any other time in their industry sector. I want to quote that again because I want you to hear this and look at the kind of tension and paradoxical or contradictory nature of when these pornographic pay-per-view movies are rented out. He says, we, that is the particular conference centers, while visiting one, uh, the owner told him they sell more pornographic pre per view, pay-per-view movies during youth ministry conferences than at any other industry sector. You guys get that? Uh, For those of you whose kids have been kind of marshaled off and forced into that whole world of youth ministry because of the nature of church today, guess what's going on in the hotel rooms? A lot of porn. This statement does not, he goes on to say, surprise a veteran student pastor. You've seen enough colleagues struggle, resign, and fail, is what he says. It is not uncommon to see youth and college pastors lose their jobs due to porn use, addiction, double lives, or inappropriate relationships with students. Still, it seems nobody tells new youth or college pastors just how spiritually dangerous ministry can be to their souls. Here are four reasons why youth and college ministry can be so hazardous. One is ministry is lonely. Most student pastors are caught off guard by how lonely ministry can be. Many don't work on a team and are often lone rangers. Ah, that is a problem. Additionally, he says, odd work hours tend to disconnect disconnect you from people. Retreat, contact work, and Bible studies often occur at night and or on weekends when you would be hanging out with friends. In student ministry, conversations are a one-way street. You ask the questions and listen to the kids' answers. It's often inappropriate to share your deepest burdens with a young person. You're around people all the time, but you are lonely. Student pastors often experience a great deal of isolation, fertile ground for spiritual failure. You notice what he said, loneliness and isolation for the minister. This not only applies for this so-called youth pastor, but it applies to the pastor in general. Number two, work for God and intimacy with God get confused. In other words, you've been at church all day. You've studied the Bible for hours during the week. You've heard lots of music and teaching. You've had five conversations about God in coffee shops in one day. Certainly with all of that spiritual time, You're close to God, right? Wrong. 
a tricky aspect of ministry is delineating between your job and your relationship with Christ. Many students, pastors, encounter spiritually dry seasons without even being aware of it. Paul calls us to be strong in the Lord in fighting spiritual warfare. This strength flows out of intimacy with God. He's right about that. When we're spiritually disconnected, we're vulnerable to moral failure and destructive decisions. Student pastor, God wants you as a person more than he wants your performance. He's the parent who wants you to come home and sit on his lap more than he wants straight A's. Never feel guilty then about taking extended time to fellowship with the living God. Number three, he says you are often unaccountable in your work. You're often you often aren't held accountable. In other words, for some reason, churches who do have youth pastors kind of let them roam free as free radicals, assuming that the youth pastor has the ability to impact the kids positively as some kind of uh, super steroid or super antioxidant. And this is me talking, PJ. It goes on to say senior pastors can seldom indicate seldom dedicate significant attention or support to their youth pastor since they're overwhelmed with the needs of the congregation. Monitoring the spiritual health or activity of the youth pastor then becomes more of a luxury than a necessity. Most college pastors operate in a parachurch manner. It's not uncommon for uh, college pastors to report to someone in another city who rarely, rarely see them face to face when no one's watching. Problems are effectively guaranteed when this is the case. When no one is watching, problems are effectively guaranteed. The fourth thing they say about it before I go to the break is, no one prepares you for the fishbowl, young pastor. People starting out in ministry rarely realize just how public the position is. Like it or not, ministry will make you a public figure in your community, no matter how large or small it may be. This means feedback on your performance will follow. The danger of human approval lurks. If you're a strong speaker or a caring pastor, parents will tell you just how great you are. The rush of human approval can become addictive for an unprepared student pastor. You start believing you really are awesome. Meanwhile, such self-absorption is fertile ground for awful thinking and decisions. Did you get that? Praising that individual um, for their work can set them up for a pride that makes them think that they are not vulnerable to the typical dynamics of their culture. Simultaneously, no matter how great you are, no person can avoid critics. Fearful parents who can't motivate their own apathetic team to attend youth group are convinced their child's uh, indifferences is a reflection of your incompetence. You get either that direct accusation or a catalog of suggestions making for making your ministry more successful, which you simply hear as you don't measure up. Now, I'm going to stop there for break's sake, but listen carefully to what's going on. And I thought about it because, of course, yours truly has been in ministry for quite some time. And I was prompted around what, and this here goes on to talk about, this article goes on to talk about why it is that a lot of um, youth pastors end up in appropriate inappropriate relationships with young kids, teens and boys. It goes across the board. 
But this is true also for the pastorate as well, as we know that many pastors are falling all the time. I was just recently looking at the stats on pastoral failure, and pastoral failure um, occurs in America massively on three levels. Simply burnout from doing too much work, and we've talked about that before here, uh, being engaged in too much um, of the demand of ministry that basically puts them like a doctor on call 24 hours a day. That is a bad practical format. Secondly, um, they are um, struggling economically and therefore having issues at home uh, and, and the problems at home become such that they bleed over from the problems in the church and that creates an alienation in the pastor and he finds himself now vulnerable to a third category and that is the sexual temptations that go on in the church because of the makeup of the church. And if we were to sit back and talk about it, we could see how clear it is as a danger for the pastor um, or leadership, elder, deacons, in a cultural context in which we live, where we are all permeated by an evil that I want to talk about when I come back from the break, that has us all poised to fall into infidelity if we are not careful. So parents, where are you with your kids around how they think, what they are watching? How much time are they exposed to the Babylonian system of war and sex that is intentional at redefining your identity and reshaping your affections and passions away from the true and the living God? Is this topic important to you? Then stay tuned because we don't, we want to press into it a bit more after the break. I've got three lines open. Love to hear from you. one 367 5329 one Is this a sort of tacit concern for you, a, a private concern, or is this one that you have brought to the table and have began to discuss with your spouse or whomever is important in your life to strategically wage war against a drifting into a sexual-centered uh, emotionally charged um, culture of, um, of, of pornography and uh, adultery and fornication and all those kinds of things that really destroy the value and wealth of life. Well, we're going to continue talking about it. The number is one 367 5329 I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. All right, we're back. The time five thirty six on the Monday edition of Lifeline. The number one triple eight three six seven five three two nine. I'm talking about um, the sexual integrity issue going on in the world, which probably can be stated as not having any at all. But I'm also talking about the warfare. Uh, against the mind of the believer, the Christian, the professing Christian, and how it's so dominant in our churches as well. Why? Because we are a part of the culture. We know that. Um, And looking at an article this morning as I was preparing uh, for uh, my own uh, worship service on Wednesday as well as Sunday, um, I came across this article on uh, youth pastors and what happens once I saw you guys that note on how when conventions take place with the big groups of teenagers and young adults uh, in the name of Jesus to come together around Bible study and, and conferences and things like that to advise them on how to live pure lives. And yet uh, in the hotel rooms, their pay-per-view has skyrocketed. You know what it tells me? There is a massive idol 
in the church called porn and fornication. And with adults that are married, it's called adultery. Now, this also came on the heels of just my having to deal with the fact that uh, my own colleagues uh, and peers in the ministry are also falling, uh, unfortunately, all too often as well in the same way. So what did that do for me? It made me think through this warfare that we talked about for three days on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that when the Bible says we we know his wiles or to be able to stand against the wiles or methods of the enemy, it made me really think through what are some of the major, major inroads that the adversary has already infiltrated inside the body of Christ, the people of God, the church of the living God, uh, professing believers, professing Christians. What are the very obvious ones? Well, one of them is clearly secularism. The notion that somehow we can be believers and yet live extremely carnal earthly lives on a horizontal level is a major problem. It's just a major problem. When your priorities are not really truly spiritual um, and you're given to excitement around uh, the things of this world, as Christ said in Matthew 6, and he said in another place uh, in the gospel of Matthew's, uh, a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And yet he says, uh, take no thought for what you're going to wear, eat. Um, um, uh, on any given day, because that is not as much as a priority as your spiritual soul. And yet, do we not take a lot of thought to um, how we dress, what we look like, what we wear, what we own, what we possess, even our jobs and our careers, all of that, as important as that stuff is at a certain level, it becomes the trap. And I do believe that we are dealing with at any given time at any given time, in any collective of, of people professing to be believers, someone trapped by, controlled by, dominated by the addiction of porn, the addiction of uh, sexual um, uh, promiscuity, the addiction of, of, of wanting to have uh, a, a, a kind of satisfaction in their, um, in their, in their identity makeup, <clears throat> that is a consequence of us being told by the world who and what we are. In other words, largely what you and I are told is that we are not spiritual creatures, for certainly there is no God. And therefore, we're not really to be dominated by a moral ethical framework. And certainly, if we have a moral ethical framework, it cannot be a moral ethical framework that's given to us from an objective set of, uh, of codified uh, propositions, i.e. the Bible. It cannot be that. So you and I are, are at the whim of the capri of the experts of our culture, like the Keynesian theory, that you and I are primarily sexual creatures from our childhood. And you'll hear in Christian cultures a kind of sentiment toward that. Now, we are sure that we are sexual creatures, but not dominantly, not primarily, not exclusively, although our culture would do that, would it not? In virtually everything that is image-oriented or audio-transmitted, what the enemy has done is basically preoccupy you and I and our world with an image of ourselves. Now, what is more flattering than that, than every time we look around, we see ourselves? Like, for instance, I like Animal Kingdom. I like watching National Ge Geographics and, and Wildlife 
Channel 51. I just love uh, learning more and more about uh, particularly uh, a program right now that's on is um, the recovery of so-called <clears throat> extinct animals. And some of these guys are discovering that mankind who will be absolute in their assertion that things no longer exist are proving that they just never traversed the whole of the world to determine whether or not animals migrated here or there and landed somewhere else. Well, I love all that for many, many reasons. But here we are facing a constant barrage of visual and audio and sensual expression of our human makeup. And what does it consist of? Primarily sex and violence. Sex, violence, sex, violence, sex, and violence. Everywhere in our world. Is that not true? Absolutely. And can you not affirm that this kind of stuff is impacting the way we think as we are subtly being told that your identity and therefore your um, satisfaction is really rooted in how you feel and whether or not you can engage in the same kind of pseudo happiness that um, the media is purporting you should be engaging in. And what does that look like? People of God, when children come into church every Sunday morning or um, uh, midweek or whenever they come into church, just drenched in that media propaganda. And what does it look like for the professing believer to sit in the pew and listen to biblical proposition for one hour that never, ever really goes that route? but always targets your heart, always targets your mind, always targets your spirit. What does that look like? It looks like a soul that has been in bondage to a need for something carnal and then not getting met, met in the church. So you go away with a subtle dissatisfaction because at that particular level, you're still trapped. And in many cases in bondage, this is a struggle and a warfare that we are dealing with. What you don't realize What you don't realize is that when you go away from an atmosphere where biblical truth and God's glory and holiness and and the beauty of holiness is is what is promulgated. When you go away from that, you're going back into that cesspool that continues to redefine you and reprioritize what you want. And the next thing you know, you're collapsing into the idolatry of engaging in the world at the level of porn and at the level of uh, fornication and adultery. And this is how pastors fall all the time. They are want for the same thing that the congregation wants. Let me paint another picture before I take a break so that you and I can actually do what I think we need to be doing in our churches. And that is making it very clear the context in which we live, the context in which we live. If you have a community of men and women in your local church, And they are in the age ranges of 13 to 60. And they are uh, Gen X's, Gen Z's, baby boomers, and maybe a few older. And and there's an eclectic of that. And let's say our typical church really largely today in America is about 60 to 70 percent women and 30 percent men. And then you have a leadership team of one or two men or three or four men in that small group, multiply that from 60 now to 120 with, with two or three or four in leadership and multiply that from 120 to let's say 500, 600 people attending flocking and, and working their way through that, that community. 
and you got a leadership of about seven to 10 people. And then you can multiply that by thousands. And yet all those people are coming into the church drenched, drenched in the propaganda, the visual audio stimulus, stimuli of what you are is sexual expression in total, either in terms of physical intimacy or in terms of hostile war. So, so what you have people are coming in the church are angry people and horny people, angry, horny people coming to church, hearing about a Jesus who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Do you see the problem? As you see, without facing this reality and cutting the lights on, as we've already learned, whatsoever is manifested is light. As long as you leave the darkness veiling over this kind of condition and atmosphere, all you're doing is looking for trouble. Now, moms and dads, those of you who are listening for me, listening to me, and I've got two lines open, one 888 You know you haven't talked to your son or your daughters or your kids about what they're watching in a long time and what they're listening to. It's probably because you don't want them talking to you about what you're watching and about what you're listening to either, do you? You see where I'm going with this? Now, the only thing that occurs out of this are the dark, dark consequences of a good thing being turned into a bad thing and perverted for a wrong end, and it ends up being tragic for everybody. And then the church loses its testimony and witness because people in the world know that folks in the church are no different than folks in the world. Forget this whole thing about the power of the gospel. There ain't no power in the gospel when all you got to do is pull your dress up or all you got to do, you know, <clears throat> is, uh, is, is punch somebody and then it's on. So our culture is really a major catalyst for the corruption of our churches. And what is the remedy for it? When I come back from the break, I'm going to talk about that. I want to talk about um, how important it is for you and I to have an open frontal attack as a soldier against a, a power that has taken down many strong men in our world. And, and it does it privately. <clears throat> you can bring your own spiritual, mental, emotional harlot or lover into the church throughout the whole of the sermon. And no, when you leave, you can leave with them and go engage. And this is true for you and your kids, your teens, for you. And it's true for leadership, too, when we don't put on the whole armor of God in order that we might stand against the wiles of the devil. Now, I can tell by this particular topic, there will not be many calls. You know why? Because men love darkness rather than light. The only time we have to deal with it is when it breaks and the scent and aroma of infidelity and failure now permeates the room. And everybody knows we're all jacked up when we should have been dealing with it up front. Proactive. one 888 one Who's going to brave me with the conversation on the Monday edition of Lifeline? I'll be right back. And now back to Lifeline with Jesse Gistand. And we're back. The time is 5.51. Got room for another caller. If you want to call one 888 one I'm using leadership as the sort of litmus test of the conversation, but it's not exclusive to them. I'll be honest with you. 
But I am going to use them. Why? Because in reality, leaders, whether pastors or whether parents, um, adults, older people, are to be models for the downline. I think you agree with that. And yet, here is some of the startling statistical facts about pastors in terms of this whole issue of pornography and sexual misconduct. 70% of pastors report ministry damaged their self-esteem. In other words, they're dealing with so much conflict in the church that their self-esteem is affected. Then it goes on to say more than 50, this is a statistic that goes way back, and so I know the numbers are higher than this. More than 51% of pastors say that Internet pornography is a possible temptation for them. Approximately 20% of the monthly calls to focus on the family feature this particular problem. 50% of men are engaged, pastors are engaging in pornography on the Internet. More than 30% of pastors are functionally addicted to Internet pornography. More than 15% of pastors engage in sexual behavior that they consider inappropriate. 10 to 14% of pastors have sexual conduct with someone other than their spouse while employed as a pastor. Now, I I told my men in our uh, leadership class uh, a couple months ago that pastors are leaving the ministry by the thousands one of three ways. Um, They are leaving because they're burnt out because ministry is an impossible task where you are operating in the flesh. Uh, Because the only thing you can do with a bunch of people I mean, a bunch of people, a bunch of human beings that are autonomous and individualistic and and driven by their own goals and agenda, and you got them under the auspices of your pastorate, is to either drive them with a whip and control them tyrannically like Pharaoh, uh, in the which they are slaves and you're the master. And when you do that, you're going to end up abusing them and sleeping with them or perverting them in one way or the other, uh, emotionally, psychologically, or practically. This goes on in in the black church like I don't know what. Um, They get burnt out, and and therefore they quit because there's not enough money. And and this is where many of the pastors are, uh, where they do bivocational work. They'll preach and work and preach and work. And yet it's a complete disaster because they are not rooted and prepared for what ministry really calls for. The other area is moral failure, a collapse into the things that you and I are talking about. Think about it with me for a moment. Here here you have a pastor and a pastor with a wife, ostensibly. One of the reasons why I am uh, unequivocally given to a biblical model of leadership where I do not compromise the calling of a pastor to be married with children to be married with children. He is a male pastor, not a female pastor. He is a male pastor to be married with children. I do not compromise with elders to be married with children. I do not compromise deacons to be married with children because the Bible gives no other authority to be in leadership in the office of leadership explicitly or implied that we should create these different offices, whether females or whether single men are certainly not youth ministry. Now, now think about that for a moment with me before we begin to deal with this demonic stratagem that has entered into the church. And I'm going to take it over to the next hour. If we are disobeying God's word at the fundamental level of biblical qualifications for leadership, 
Can we possibly think that we can ward off the devil who was confident to walk up to Adam and Eve when they were in their purity while you and I are at least simultaneously sinful and righteous at the same time? Do you think we can ward off the enemy if we compromise at the level of biblical standards concerning uh, leadership in the church? Do you think we can even begin to win the battle morally, spiritually, ethically, purity-wise, if we are compromising what God has plainly said leadership should be. And yet everywhere you see people who say, I'm called to, to be a pastor, I'm called to be a preacher, I'm called, and yet we say, okay, so show us the biblical qualifications and show us where you meet them. And churches allow this to happen everywhere. It's impossible for you to be able to overcome the Babylonian harlot, which is the central idol of our culture, by which you are shaped in your secret identity, for which you are often given over to for pleasure and satisfaction. It's impossible to overcome that when you haven't come through the front door of biblical qualifications for leadership. This is why you see in your churches so much scandal around sex. Scandal, 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 scandal around sex. Because we are not doing the biblical model. Now, for those of you who are not calling and will not call, but you know I'm telling the truth, stay on the line because when I come back from the break on the other side, guess what? I'm going to talk to you about the men who know how to walk with God, and fight this hellish battle of overcoming the temptations in their members and overcoming the proposition from the world, the propositions from the church, the propositions from the pews, in order to be a model to the people of God in a society and in a time when collapse is taking place everywhere. So you may not be calling, but you are listening. And I'm going to take this time to tell you This is how you overcome the relentless assault on your mind and your soul and your heart. I'm going to tell you all how it's done. Okay, And I'm not telling you this as if I am somehow far from this temptation. I am not. I'm in the midst of that fire with you. That's why I'm doing it. But I do know something about how to win that battle against those temptations after 30, uh, almost 30 years in ministry. In 40 years, 38 years of marriage. I do know something about how to call upon God and keep it real with God and commit myself to the exclusivity of covenant and tell the devil to go to hell when he wants me to compromise eternal glory for a small season of pleasure, season of pleasure that has absolutely no equivalency at any time, with the glory of God in the person of Christ, who richly pours into all who call upon him everything needed for them to overcome and to stand in the evil day. I do know something about that, and I want you to hear from a man who had learned after 50 years of marriage And almost the same of ministry, how to walk with one woman and ride it out and overcome. 
I respect this man, and you'll some of you will know him. You won't like him necessarily, some of you, but I'll tell you what I've told my young men as I prepare for break, because uh, I love teaching young men about ministry, and and this is something intuitively I learned many years ago because when I was a young preacher, guess what? I was around and was aware of a lot of the older preachers who were compromisers in the closet. And I mean in the closet. And they'd come out and preach with the kind of zeal and, and, and gift of gab that, that would turn the church into a frenzied nightclub, if y'all know what I'm talking about. Because I've told people before, preaching and the gift of gab are two different things. Biblical preaching is exalting God's word in an expository fashion with passion. This whole idea of a quip and a phrase and, and slick anecdotal stories that get people worked up emotionally, that's nothing but a precursor to the nightclub or the hotel, as y'all already know the history. When I come back, I'm going to talk to you and use one model, man, and I'm going to share with you why I latched a hold of him about 12, 15, 20 years ago and said, you know, there's something about his character that will help me as a young man stay on point. And because of that, I've been able to stay on point. And because I've been able to stay on point, I've been able to help younger men stay on point. Do you want to know about it? Then stay on the line. I'm talking about your kids that are six, seven, eight, nine years old. Your kids that are 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. I'm talking about your young high school kids, your young college kids. I'm talking about you, mama, and you, daddy, and you, preacher. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about your church. I'm talking about the church of Christ, which by the time he comes back, will be purged of everything that does not love the truth. This is the Monday edition of Lifeline. I'm going to take a break. I'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 